Hello and welcome to Alpine Cthulhu. Today we are back behind the bar with a very special interview with Chris Durston, the writer of the prequel novel to Cthulhu Dreamt. Would you like to say hello? Uh, hi! I never know how to react to those things. Is, would you like to say hello? Yes, sure. Hello everybody. <laughs> yeah, it does put people on the spot a little bit. Well, it's a good thing we did actually have a redo. We just had attempted one and uh, we had a few issues with technical things, but I forgot the main important question that we always ask, Ooh. which is uh, the icebreaker. If you would say a pint of Cthulhu would be any drink, what drink would it be? Ooh, okay, I'm going to go with um, an ale called Doom Bar because that just feels thematically appropriate. I know Doom Bar. I bet you do. Don't drink it. Not an ale fan myself, but I do know a Doom Bar. My dad swears by Doom Bar. I am not an ale drinker, so yeah. What do you drink? Uh, gin, when I when I can be bothered, which is, which is rarely, to be fair. Um, although my in-laws got me absolutely smashed one time on I think it was a combination of gin and like a raspberry liqueur type thing so it was super alcoholic but it tasted like squash basically so you could absolutely neck them um, and that did not go well that sounds dangerous oh yes <laughs> so uh, once again how did you get involved with the writing of the prequel novel to Cthulhu Dreamt so, oh my gosh, I've just stepped on my daughter's book. Can you hear that? Can you hear the old McDonald's song? <laughs> yeah, I can hear that. Right, let's leave that in, because that's just... that That's having kids, everybody. It's just having all kinds of noise-making oh, things around in your workspace. Um, so so how I got involved with Cthulhu Dreamt. So I, I think this is accurate, um, and it's one of those weird kind of the internet is good sometimes things. I, I somehow came across Codeburst, which was a thing that Reed Reimer and a couple of other folks had done kind of a graphic novel type thing. Um, and I just thought it was really cool. And I did something I almost never do, which was just message read out of the blue, um, being you know completely unknown to him and just said, I think this is really cool. I really like it. Um, it's good. It might have been because of a shipping query, actually. I might have been curious whether I could even get a paperback copy because of being in the UK. Um, but anyway, we struck up a conversation and Reed being the guy that he is, um, which is to say a very cool guy, um, we just got to talking about the things that he does and um which is essentially just kind of multimedia storytelling stuff with a bunch of really cool people and i was like that sounds really awesome and he was like do you want to get in on it and i said yes um so we've, we've kind of done a couple of things since then that are sort of pre-release um so i actually to my astonishment got to work with him on um the sequel to code burst the thing that i originally liked um and i got involved somehow in Cthulhu Dreamt. So the first thing I did, I think, was um, wrote a heavy metal song for the, the band's second album, and I did a bit of like spoken word stuff on that, um, and ended up also, yeah, getting roped in to write the prequel novel for the RPG campaign. And I think I'm allowed to say that I'm also going to be doing, um, with Reed, a sort of side module thing. I forget what the official term they're using is, but like, you know, some some, some extra content in the RPG oh, world. Oh, yeah, side quests. Yes. Side quest, that's probably the word, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has mentioned that previously. So I think you're okay with that one. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, Reed is just generally the reason that we're involved as well, to be honest. He just messaged us out of the blue on uh, a random tweet, I think, and look, here we are. I feel like Reed is kind of the um, the sort of 
platonic ideal of that thing of like a rising tide lifting all boats like he's he's just kind of always trying to involve more people to make things that he can make himself and then he, he like he will absolutely put other people first in terms of like making sure that they get the you know the compensation and the credit for that before he takes his own um oh he really and, does yeah yeah and it's not like you know he he's not doing this full time he's not super you know he's not a millionaire as far as well he might be but if he is it's separate to this but like he <laughs> he's he's just bringing in people because he thinks they're cool and he wants to do cool stuff with them and um just being incredibly generous i think with his with his skills and his um his network i guess basically it's, it's just bringing more and more people into the fold until things get even more cooler um so I, I i have an awful lot of respect for reed and um this isn't the let's all lovey-dovey read rama podcast but maybe it should be i don't know i think we should yeah we should steer this into the let's love read rama <laughs> yeah do you know what? i'd be fine with that i think that's perfectly acceptable <laughs> Uh, a little bit back more about yourself. How did you? What, what, what inspired you to become a writer in the first place? I have no idea. Um, I I read a lot as a kid. Like my mum claims that I taught myself to read. Um, I don't know how, exactly how true that is, but um, there's definitely some indications that I, I was reading like before I went to to primary school because they had to sort of accommodate that. Um, and. I basically just was constantly uh, in my room reading books on my own, which, you know, for some people, maybe that sounds a bit tragic, but like that, that's kind of what I wanted to do. That's what I enjoyed. And that's what I was happy doing. Um, so I guess the kind of progression to wanting to write my own stuff was like a bit inevitable. And I think then we had, so I'm, I'm just about old enough that um, like having a computer with internet was sort of unusual when I was younger. Um, so when I was, I want to say probably seven or eight like we had this like white square thing um in the living room that couldn't connect to the internet i think it could do like it had microsoft word and maybe like asteroids or asteroids Aster asteroids <laughs> um and and some game about a tank that i don't manage to find again but um yeah so pretty much all that it could do really was was that one game and a word processor so i think i just kind of started writing stuff down and it was probably terrible and that's like fine because what do you expect but i guess eventually i just um took it a bit more seriously whether i got any better is you know not not for me to say i suppose but um it'd be nice to think that i have well i mean you've published several books in what looks like a very short amount of time and they all have rather high ratings you must be doing something right yeah i mean i i, I feel very lucky actually to have just kind of stumbled into um like a community of people who who like to you know read each other's stuff and and big it up and review it and that kind of thing and you know i'm I'm nowhere near making money off of it really but that's i, I i'm kind of doing it because i can't help it i suppose um but it took me a long time to take it more seriously Actually, i think after going to uni i had to do an awful lot of reading and writing stuff and i didn't i didn't get back to reading and writing like for my own pleasure for a good few years after that because i was so it, like I, I got to not like it because i had to do it um so i kind of took it a bit seriously uh, a few years back and then eventually decided to publish this one book that I've been working on and then from there I got a bunch of um, just met a few people on Twitter I think and ended up in a bunch of like anthologies and that sort of thing so if, if you look at how many books it says I've written on Goodreads most of those are just ones I have like a contribution in or something um, but uh, yeah so it's it's been again I think just another example of, of people being people being cool um, in that I wouldn't have got to 
have those opportunities if people hadn't just been like, yeah, sure, whatever, at no kind of benefit to themselves. So how have you adapted your writing style? I mean, I've got your book here, Chronicles from the World of Guilt. Yet to read it, I must admit, uh, not a lot of time, but how have you adapted your writing style to accommodate the Cthulhu-dreamt kind of world? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I guess the the biggest thing for me with this is not so much adapting the, the way I write, because I'm kind of used to writing different kinds of prose anyway. Like, I, I do uh, kinds of copywriting in my day job, and that's obviously a completely different tone from other stuff I've done. Like, so I've done, I've done Each Look Universe. My first one was kind of a comedy... Chronicles from the World of Guilt is, I guess, a cosmic horror, but it spends more time just kind of hanging out with people in the like minutiae of life and kind of looking at, you know, the apocalypse. The apocalypse has happened. How do we find hope and beauty and stuff anyway? Um, but so, so adopting, adapting my kind of writing style wasn't the big thing. It was working within the constraints of a world that has all these details set out already. Because historically, I've been very much a kind of let's just write something and see what happens and try and tidy it up later. Um, <laughs> which wasn't going to work here so i had to spend a bit of time getting to grips with what's already set in stone what am i kind of free to play around with a bit where do things need to finish up um and just kind of is is there other stuff that i need to be aware of in terms of just not am i allowed to swear oh god yeah cool so basically how do i not fuck up the continuity like how do i make sure that i'm not saying shit that absolutely can't happen um so that was kind of the big Thing that I needed to make sure I got straight, um, and then after that, I think I, I I think I sat down and read a few sort of new weird type things. So um, not necessarily Lovecraft so much because his writing style is like interesting for what it is, and it's it does it does what it does well, but it's not particularly um, digestible for a modern audience. So I didn't want to like imitate that. Um, so I read a bunch of like Jeff Vandermeer and China Mieville and other kind of new weird things, and sort of hoped that that would help. Hmm. You have like a like daily routine you do for like before you start writing to get into the mood of things for it. I mean, you say about reading different genres and different titles and authors. How how much of that has gone into like developing Thulu Dreamt with a routine? Um yeah, I <laughs> I I I could have done with a better routine earlier on actually. This took me longer to do than I would have liked, um partly because I had a kid halfway through it um or, well not halfway through like i guess fairly early on in the process i had i had a baby um and so that kind of put thank you um that was that was 17 months ago now but um so it feels almost almost weird to be saying i had a baby like this thing that just happened um but that kind of did take me out of action for longer than i would have liked um as it turns out being a parent to a, a human that like completely depends on you is like slightly difficult in some ways some of the time um oh so, yes oh yeah. yes um, and you know, it, it gets even harder as they grow up and you need different skills to look after a toddler than a newborn. Uh, anyway. Um, yep. <laughs> so I could have done with a more solid routine early on, but like my, my wife has basically got this little whiteboard that each week she writes down, like, here's how long you're going to write and what time you're going to do it and stuff. So, um, she, she is like the sole reason that I get anything done really. Cause she knows that if I don't, I'm sad, <laughs> but I, but that's not good enough to motivate me to do it myself. Um, so yeah, it, it, it took a little longer than I would have liked, but I'm, I'm in a good routine now of just kind of doing doing stuff usually after the little one's gone to bed. Um, with like, I used to feel bad about that because I was like, but this is, you know, I don't get much time just with my wife. And then she reminded me that, yeah, but not long ago, we were spending hours longer than this just trying to get her to sleep. 
So like, this is okay. This is free. Yeah, I hear you on that one. I hear you all too well. Oh yeah. <laughs> the amount of hours spent just trying to get the little one to go to bed is just like ah. Uh... <laughs> it yeah, it's um, we're just about in a good routine now, and it's I, you don't want to take it for granted though. You're like this could change. No, any don't <laughs> don't take it for granted. Trust me. Only a few months on from yours, but trust me, there are days where it just suddenly switches, as I'm sure you're aware. Oh yeah, I don't know when the next one's due, but um, she, she's not great at following the kind of this is when things are supposed to happen anyway. So uh, like she's she's either early or late, but never never on time. Um, so I imagine she'll just one day decide I'm not going to sleep today, and it'll be great. Oh, trust me, it is. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> So, back a little bit more to the writing side. How do you handle the dreaded writer's block? Um, the, 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 I I avoid I, I procrastinate and I avoid things because I've got a very avoidant personality. Um, I, <laughs> so I I am one of those really irritating people who kind of can absolutely know like I'm sitting here wasting time if I were writing and getting stuff done I would be happier yet I'm not going to do that um, so I I absolutely get that kind of feeling a lot I think th the only thing I found really works for me is just being more consistent in terms of writing kind of you know most days to, to try and get like not necessarily a certain number of words but like just for a certain amount of time because if I can push past that initial oh god what am I doing like it usually ends up going smoother the further in I get um, and I just kind of have to force myself to do it sometimes which is not like i wish there were an easier an easier way of doing it there's some some magic thing but like if, for me at least it's just been kind of learning to push past the initial resistance i guess um which, which is which is a useful skill but it's um yeah sometimes that's all there is for it that's a fair answer do you have any then interesting or kind of like funny anecdotes from your writing journeys Ooh, that's a question. Um, I don't know whether I do, and I probably should. Um, <laughs> gosh, I mean, I, I I can give you an, an an interesting one, I suppose. Whether whether it's funny, I don't know. But um, one of one of the things that's kind of the the most bizarre that that I've kind of got to be involved with um, is, I think it was not that long into into lockdown. Um, a fellow named Chris Van Dyke tweeted does anyone want to do like a collective world building type thing and i think 30 people were like yeah sure um and we were sort of thinking like oh it'll just be a, a fun little thing that we do because we're all you know dreading the world and stuff um and that ended up turning into like an anthology series of a few different things where e each volume is kind of a standalone thing where all of the writers get together play a couple of um at, the fir at first it was hacks of the quiet year which is a TTRPG by Avery Older, I think, um, and basically develop the world from that, and then go off and like set stories in it. But the canon kind of rules were absolutely like off the table. Like no one had to make anything consistent with what anyone else was doing. So it was almost this bizarre mishmash of like let's just throw everything in, and it's sort of like old fairy tales, right? Where you have different sources, and some of them say stuff that's not compatible with other things, but they're all still there. Like it it's all still like a valid story to draw from it's just i guess a matter of interpretation whether something really happened or not so we did that a bunch of times um and from that 
I have a thing coming out hopefully fairly soon um, about a restaurateur and uh, a mythical wizard trying to stop um, a rival restaurant because one of the first things that we did was make a a city in like the bones of a long dead sort of megafauna um, and I think I, I, I think I can take the credit for this because I think it was me that said okay so geographically if it's in kind of the rib cage we've got north ribs and south ribs can we have a restaurant called north ribs ribs and it's a ribs joint in the north ribs and that kind of <laughs> took over the whole thing until this like this town became this place absolutely just obsessed with ribs all the time um so that's i don't know if that was even even an anecdote that was like a chapter but um it's it's just another example of like people getting together and doing stuff just because they think it would be cool and like yeah it's not been you know a commercial success but we didn't we didn't want it to be we, we were just like we just want to have something we've done and put it out there and it's just awesome to have had that experience so um yeah there you go there's one wow i mean that leads on quite nicely into something i was looking to answer asking a bit, little bit but um you're saying you're playing what was it hacks of a quiet year or mm-hmm. sorry i've never heard of that before at all um but branching off from that what kind of uh, rpgs do you play have you played many and what's your stories um so i'm i'm relatively inexperienced i've so i played a bit of pathfinder first edition and i think fourth edition DD in uni um i've played a little bit of 5e since then um not a huge amount um yeah so quiet year is i think i think it's designed to be played like around a table and basically it's you draw cards and there's like a little oracle sheet that tells you um because there's 52 cards in 52 weeks of the year right so each each week of the year is is a card and something happens in that week and then you kind of build the world out of that it kind of prompts you to generate parts of the world and so um i think we basically just hacked that to make it work sort of remotely and with with 30 people um but i do play a fair bit of kind of solo like journaling style rpgs so quiet year solo version is one um there's one called iron valley which is i think that's a hack of like it, it's basically iron sworn rules but with kind of a stardew valley setting so it's like developing your own little farm and stuff and it's just very cozy um oh what's the one that's coming out soon that i'm quite excited about grotty goblins tea grotto i think it's called it's a little a little tea house run by a goblin <laughs> what um yeah yazeba's bread and breakfast that's kind of a spirited away vibe so so what i what i quite like at the moment is these kind of solo or sort of more intimate experiences that are about you telling your own stories or building your own characters and that kind of thing um and there are some that do it really well and what i really like about indie rpgs especially is that they're kind of not beholden to follow like existing conventions like if you see a new mainstream ttrpg it's probably going to be you know recognizably a couple of steps away from something that resembles D&D. um but in the indie space especially lots of people are doing stuff to tell completely different kinds of stories with different kinds of rules um so that that's kind of what i'm into at the moment i've never played call of cthulhu though <laughs> Fair play. Not many people have, to be honest. No, I played. I played the video game Call of Cthulhu, but that wasn't very good. No, it was quite terrible. <laughs> yeah. If ever you want to jump in a game at some point, let us know. We'll probably run back to that in a couple of years' time. Hmm. Have you played um, Cthulhu Dreamt yet? Have you played any of the actual playtests? I've not had the chance to. So I have. Uh, I've got a copy of the first sort of adventure that I think. Um, 
is the one that's being play tested. It's called Springfield Nocturne, I think. I think you guys might have played that yeah. actually. Yeah, we did. So I've heard you guys playing it. Um, I've not had a chance to play it with people myself, but I've read through it. So um, yeah, I actually yeah, this is another good example, I suppose, of doing something that doesn't really mechanically resemble D and D. Like, I'm sure some people will, will describe it as you know, it's it's D and D but Cthulhu, but I think it's it, it is different enough from D and D that it can tell totally different stories with the mechanics that it's got and like i say that's the kind of thing i really dig about indie things um whether that's rpgs or you know novels or whatever actually people people get to break the rules of what's considered kind of mass marketable and do more interesting stuff it's definitely an interesting one for sure uh playing through it the first time around it's it's so different from anything yeah Um, i I think it was important to the team to keep it um (laughs) you know separate in that way from stuff that would be easily recognizable like it's accessible but it's not too similar to to existing stuff and i think the other thing that they wanted to make sure was that the um because you know lovecraft adjacent games and properties have historically not done the idea of kind of madness particularly well i think everyone can can largely agree um and so that was something i think i i said to them fairly early on and they were like yes no we absolutely want to make sure that we're not um you know kind of just just imitating what's come before because um things have not been portrayed very well on that front um so that was something i was definitely relieved here i was like okay good this is something i'm comfortable being involved with then i think the best description of the madness i can uh, i've heard is probably the idea of taking an ant and giving it human consciousness but then putting it back into the body of an ant <laughs> is the best way i could uh, potentially describe eldritch horror yeah, and this is something I've always found a bit weird about Cthulhu, actually, is that, like, Cthulhu, for some reason, is the one with his name attached to it, but he was... I think he's only in Call of Cthulhu, right? In in kind of Lovecraft's original stories, and basically the extent of his appearance in that is he kind of pops up out of the sea and is a giant octopus dragon, and a boat hits him, I think, is what happens. Um, and that somehow... That's kind of become the iconic image of, of Lovecraft, but, like, the stuff that I really like of his is the stuff that deals more with this notion that, like, the universe is impossibly huge and it does not give a shit about us it doesn't know we're here like there are things out there that are so divorced from like our conception of what makes sense that we we just don't have the capacity to have any notion of what of what they're what they're doing and i think there was i was reading one it wasn't a lovecraft one i think it was oh gosh what's the guy's name frank belknap long maybe um one of the people who kind of added to the Cthulhu mythos after Lovecraft was kind of finished with it. Um, and I can't remember what the story was called. I'm going to have to look it up, but it was... The plot basically is about a guy who finds himself staring into a dimension where, like, time is angular instead of curved. Um, and so, like, everything in that universe is just made up of, like, angles that aren't possible in kind of art, the geometry we understand. And when he comes back home, he's like, right, I need to make my room curved. So there are no angles in the walls and nothing can get in and kill me. And I think they do anyway. But, um, you know, that's Lovecraft. Not heard of that one. I have to have a look at that uh, in a wee bit. I suppose we should probably get back round to the uh, writing side of things. But, as you were saying before, what kind of um, what kind of things do you actually read yourself? So I, I grew up on kind of... Um, not not necessarily classic fantasy but i guess the kind of contemporary fantasy of the time so um like christopher paulini's inheritance cycle was one i really liked um 
Albeit by the time the last one came out, he'd spent so long on it that I was probably a bit too old for it. Um, but that's the one that Aragorn is the first book of that one. Did you know that? It's got a dragon on the front. Um, oh, Aragorn, Brisinga. That um, one, yes. So I kind of was just about the right age for that as he was publishing it. So that was kind of um, the, the sort of fantasy that I was into at the time. Um, like Trudy Canavan, The Magician's Apprentice, that kind of thing. Um, and hey, you're think, listing off my library. Hey, and then a friend got you me. You are to, listing. Uh, David Gemmell. <laughs> sorry. No, that's all right. So yeah, a friend got me to David Gemmell, and then I think that was kind of, okay, I have to read all of David Gemmell now. <laughs> Not heard of that one, though. Oh, no, seriously, dude. Okay, so um, Gemmell, I think he was like 70s or 80s or something, but he, um, he, d- he did kind of epic fantasy very, very well, but with kind of... It's not quite grimdark, but like the, there's sort of an element of, I guess, grimness to it. But one of my favorite bits in any of his books is there's this warrior called Skilgannon who's like considered, you know, one of the greatest warriors of his age. And he's surrounded by sort of 30 or so people, like just villagers with pitchforks. And they say, like, you can't kill us all. And he's like, no, you're right. Like, I'm just one guy. You will eventually overwhelm me. But I could probably get eight or nine of you. Any of you want to be those guys? And then they're all like, oh, no, we're going to go now. <laughs> Um, that's a fair way of doing it but yeah if you're if you're into the the other stuff gemmel is gemmel is a good one um these days i kind of tend towards more like urban fantasy type stuff so things in a more contemporary setting but still with kind of fantastical elements like there's not an awful lot of stuff i read that doesn't have some kind of extra super power normal in it somewhere oh have you heard of garth nix Yes, so Sabriel and Lyriel and Abhorson were absolutely, like, foundational for me as well. Um, I, I, sh- I should probably mention them, actually, because they, they they are brilliant. Um, I've not read them for a long time, but they are absolutely bloody brilliant. I've got it on audiobook right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got, I've got uh, the left-handed booksellers of London, um, and I keep meaning to read that as well. But um, do you know what? Garth Nix isn't a pseudonym, is one of the most incredible things, as far as I'm concerned. It's actually his name? Yeah, his... his, his Honest to God, legal birth name is Garth Nix, and I just think that's brilliant. Oh. Well, you know, I feel like ran, uh, shouting out a few random ones now. All right, Alison Krogon. Not a clue. The Gift, The Riddle, The Crow. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar, but then again, a lot of things have those words in the titles. True. Uh, Sebastian D. Castell. Oh, uh, Traitor's Blade. That's the one. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I mm, 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 mm. Not to slate him, but I started reading that one and I stopped after like two chapters. I think it's probably better read than Audible. Fair. Then you can do something else whilst you're listening. Uh, I should probably get off of other people's books and go back onto yours. <laughs> what is your favourite one that you have written? Um. Uh, well, I've only... I've only published two solo ones so far those being each little universe which is kind of urban fantasy-esque um very british humor basically the other one is chronicles from the world of guilt which is a collection of um i guess kind of dark fantasy cosmic horror like it it starts with our world as we know it now and then a giant space whale shows up and then things kind of get a little bit lovecraftian from there um i feel like i sort of have to say each little universe purely because it was the first one and without that i wouldn't have done anything since but I, I think Guilt is probably the better book. I think it's more interesting, um, and I probably had more of a sense of, like, um, 
how 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 one is supposed to do things, I suppose. Like, but this is something I've kind of struggled with actually. I I think I know better now how to kind of structure a book and and do all those things. But if I had done that with each little universe, it would be a really different book, and I don't know if I would have liked it as much. So it's it's one of those weird trade-offs between like what you should do and what you personally like and want to do i guess like so some people really eel you um and they're like oh this makes sense to me especially neurodivergent people actually really seem to just get it um but a lot of people will read it and go mm, there's not really a plot i don't really get it i'm kind of not not digging it so it's i guess i would rather write something that like a smaller number of people really love than that a large number of people kind of like um that was an absolute non-answer wasn't it i haven't actually said which <laughs> Hey man, it's perfectly fine. Yay, good. <laughs> I'm just reading the um, Amazon thing for each little universe. If Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett had written an earnestly nerdy story, <laughs> I love that. That's just funny. Yeah, I think I just written, um, just read Good Omens. I nearly said I just written Good Omens. I did not write Good Omens. Um, I think I just finished reading it <laughs> at the time, and I was like, this, this is kind of the vibe, right? It's, it's sort of there's a supernatural element in a broadly normalish world and um that makes things interesting and and amusing hmm. so i take it you're still currently writing the prequel novel is that correct uh as of about a week ago i finished the first draft um so that's good i i which usually people celebrate by writing the end but uh it's not the end because the story will continue in the game obviously um so I have some edits to go back and do, and then I need to get that over to the rest of the team to, as I said before, make sure I've not fucked anything up, basically. Um, I'm hoping nothing too much, because Reed has been kind of reading it as we go through um, to sort of check it, but I think there's, as with any first draft, there's there's a lot of stuff that I probably decided later that I now need to make earlier things line up with and that kind of thing. So yeah, there'll, there'll be a bit of editing to do, but the first draft is complete, um, so happy times. Wow. Well, congratulations on getting the first draft done. Thank you. Yeah, it was a slog, but we got there. Have there been any challenges you faced with writing this compared to writing your previous two that you've solo written? Um, yeah, I, I guess same answer as before, really. And the main the main thing is is that it uh, there's kind of a responsibility on me to make it adhere with what Reed, Jaron, and the rest of the team have come up with. Um, so that that's kind of a logistical challenge, and also a like just kind of. A, a, emotional pressure like responsibility like not to screw up this amazing thing that other people are doing like i want my contribution to be up to the level that, that everyone else is working at and like my god everyone working on this is such a flipping professional like it's unbelievable the level of work that has gone into every single element of this um and it's just it like it genuinely astounds me like i just glance in the in the sort of chat every now and again and i'm just like you guys are ridiculous because they've all got day jobs as well i think or at least most of them have I, I, I don't know how people do it and it's endlessly impressive um so yeah I, I, I guess maybe the biggest challenge actually has just been like trying to get over imposter syndrome and feeling like yeah I, d I deserve to be like contributing to this and being on that level um which i don't know that i'll ever quite get over but you know i guess, I guess eventually you just kind of ignore it and it's like well i'm writing it now anyway may as well finish it <laughs> oh, fair play oh we'll wind down a little bit now uh, probably one that you've been asked before but a generic one in general is there any tips that you would give to someone trying to aspire to write their own book oh no I'm not I'm not the person for this 
<laughs> I, I think, like I said, the, the reason I ended up doing it was kind of just because I couldn't not do it. Like, I, I, I got to a point where I was like, you know what, this is something I've, I've wanted to do forever and I've known I want to do forever and I'm, I've, I've not done it. Like, I just, there, there came a point in my life where I was like, I've got to just be the person that finally does this rather than the person that actually just thinks about it all the time. Um, and I, I like you know well this is the oldest advice in the book right you know if, if there's something you want to do eventually you've kind of just got to find whatever works for you as a way of getting it done um which is super unhelpful like it, it's so condescending almost to say stuff like that but like there's an element of truth to it which is really irritating i i will say i recently have found um there's a website called right track um spelled you know w-r-i-t-e and it basically just lets you say, I want to write this many words in this amount of time, and it will tell you how many you need to do each day. So it's a bit like National Novel Writing Month, um, NaNoWriMo, if anyone's familiar with that, but kind of you can set your own parameters. And just having a thing to say, if you want to meet this target, you have to do this many today, has been a bit of a game changer for me. Like just that small amount of external motivation saying, if you do this, you will have it finished by then, is like, brilliant, okay, I'm going to do that. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is like, if you don't know what you want to write yet but you know you want to write something um there's kind of two ways you can go like one is just to start writing something really similar to something that you love i think if you write if you write something that you would want to read then that can't really go too far wrong um and the other the thing that i used to do and still do a bit is every time i have an idea about like anything like whether it's just a little theme i want to talk about or a snippet of dialogue i just stick it in like a note and then every so often I kind of just look through that and just group together the ones that are kind of thematically related. So with mm. each little universe, it was like, okay, there's a bunch of stuff in here that's to do with kind of friendship and the power of like just loving the stuff that you love and that kind of thing. Um, and eventually that kind of materialized into enough stuff that I was like, I can kind of see the the characters and the dynamic that I would need to make in order to be able to say these things. And that kind of emerged from that. So. Yeah, that, those are things that have worked for me. They won't work for everyone, but um, that's that's it, I guess. Also, oh, also find people, find other people. If you have other people that like talking about your stuff with you, it's you, you feel so much more motivated, especially if you say to them, "Hey, I'm going to have this done," and like keep me accountable. Um, I think like I I definitely massively underestimated the power of kind of uh, not peer pressure exactly, but like sort of collective responsibility, I guess, like being able to talk about stuff you love and having someone to keep you on track with it is more helpful than I thought it would be because I'm massively introverted, but it turns out actually, you know, mutual support is a good thing. That's fair play. Well, one of the last things is then, where can people find you if they want to find you, socials and things like that? Um, I can usually be found in my house, but that's, you know, a story for another time. Um, if so the, the, pl the place the place i'm currently most active is the platform formerly known as twitter um but i mean who knows how long that will even continue to exist um so i'm on there as chris durston ish because chris durston was taken um by whom i don't know because it's not a normal name um there's chrisdurston.com which is a website that i infrequently update but um yeah if, if twitter goes down i'll probably have to live there a bit more and have a newsletter and all that kind of thing so that's probably the best place well, thank you very much for your time, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And uh, yes, this has been Matt from Pilot Cthulhu signing off. Thank you.